It's go time. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon, Keith Graham, and unfortunately Pat has some uh, family business to attend to, so he won't be able to join us tonight. For Pat Mooney, we'll cover for you. Heath, lots to do with discipline, I would say, in the last little uh, go-round in the CFL. It starts, we'll say, just for sake of uh, a point at which we can begin, with the Montreal Alouettes. Danny Machocha takes over as head coach, and one of the criticisms that he leveled against the previous coaching staff was that discipline seemed to be an issue. It's discipline that seems to have cost the Alouettes the football game against Edmonton. With a big lead, they take a series of penalties. Wesley Sutton gets called three times for interference, 108 yards worth of penalties, and the Alouettes wind up on the wrong side of the score. Discipline or no? That's a tough one. A discipline issue is not something that you're necessarily going to fix overnight with a coaching change. It has to be a whole philosophy and a buy-in from the players. That being said, they were heavily penalized once again. And unfortunately for Wesley Sutton, he had the task of trying to cover Kenny Lawler, who seems to have broken out of his early season slump and looked really good in that game. And it was a tough night for Sutton trying to cover him. We'll see over the course of the next few games how that sorts out as far as the Montreal Alouettes and their penalty situation. I don't think it was all Kahari Jones' fault by any means. And I don't believe that Baron Miles had everything to do with it either. As a defensive coordinator, you've got so many different personalities on that team. Some are very hot-headed, some are much more low-key. When you've got all of those people together in a room, sparks can fly. Now, I know there was some discussion about what happened on the sideline, especially in Regina with the Alouettes. But that's only part of the equation. Those types of squabbles we saw that with the Argonauts, we've seen them with other teams, they do happen. Life goes on, typically. Absolutely. Uh, I don't blame Danny Machocha for wanting to make the coaching change that he did. We discussed at length previously about his thought process and, and how and why this happened. Fortunately, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, Kahari Jones did not stay unemployed for very long. Great to see him bounce back and continue to be a prominent face in the CFL. Landing in Hamilton as a director of player development, that's a great place to soft land, if you want to call that, because it gives them the opportunity to work with the Ticats. And given their offensive struggles, we know that Kahari had been an offensive coordinator in this league. Maybe that's a way to get him prepped into the system so that if Tommy Condell is no longer uh, required, that maybe Kahari Jones can bring in a new philosophy offensively. Yeah, I, I think it's a great move for the Tiger Cats. And another reason for it is they do have three games remaining against the Montreal Alouettes. So who better to bring on to your coaching staff than the former head coach and offensive coordinator of a team that you're going to meet three times we know how tight that Eastern division is. Every win is going to matter. Advantage Hamilton, I think, against Montreal moving forward. Games have got to be played on the field, not on paper. We can speculate as much as we want, but there are so many moving parts. Anybody that's followed us knows that this is a real speculative world we live in. 
I'm not marking it up as three wins for the Tiger Cats by any means. I'm just saying it's a good move on their part, and we'll see how it plays out when they are head-to-head coming up. Touchdown Atlantic was a massive success. Wolfsville, Nova Scotia, 3,500 people normally live there. The stadium was increased to a capacity of 10,000 plus, sold right out in an hour. Unbelievable atmosphere, unbelievable excitement for this game. It started, though, with fireworks prior to the opening kickoff. It did, unfortunately. Duke Williams of the Rough Riders and Shaq Richardson of the Argonauts got into a heated on-field incident, including some helmet tossing. Players and coaches had to rush onto the field to separate them. We have not heard as of recording this podcast if there's any supplemental discipline. I would be surprised if there's not. My biggest takeaway, though, is perhaps one or both of those players should have been disqualified before that game even kicked off. If I was leaning towards disqualification, I would put it on the player that threw the helmet, and that was Dakeel Williams. He threw Shaquille Richardson's helmet back at him and hit him with it. Famously, for those that remember, on Labor Day of 2003, September the 1st, Ed Hervey swung a helmet out of frustration during a game and caught an official, and he was tossed for doing so. And that sort of sent a benchmark, in a sense, for that's enough of helmet being pulled off your head. You cannot do that anymore because then it becomes a weapon. Absolutely. And in this situation, Dakeel Williams had some anger behind that. It wasn't just a matter of tossing a helmet. It was an overhand directly at him from close range. A very dangerous situation had Shaq Richardson not got his arms up to deflect it. That could have resulted in in an injury for him as well. So it is something that the league is going to have to look at. We know the Rough Riders have already faced a couple of issues. We've got Garrett Marino on the sidelines right now for four games. Perhaps not just the Montreal Alouettes, but the Saskatchewan Rough Riders may have some discipline issues that need to be handled pretty quickly as well. If you go back to the Banjo Bowl, Winnipeg last year, where two players were ejected from the Rough Riders, A.J. Handy and, and Garrett Marino for the first time. In the span of 16 games since... Counting those two, that's four players for the Rough Riders that have been tossed from football games. Derek Moncrief in Edmonton this year. Of course, Garrett Marino versus the Red Blacks in Regina. So that's a total of four instances where players have been tossed out of football games. That is not just a one-off. That's beginning to spell a trend. And if that's the trend and we hear the head coach, Craig Dickinson, talk about meeting about discipline and how we have to play like professionals. Well, is the message being lost somewhere? It does not seem to be getting through. The Toronto Argonauts are not innocent in this by any means either. It was a very, very chippy touchdown Atlantic game. A lot of stuff after the whistles. Both quarterbacks were roughed up on several occasions as well. Tempers were flaring out there, but at the end of the day, you're not doing your team any favors when you rack up those penalty yards and then are suddenly hitting the showers early. You change everything in a game when you get tossed from it. Now, the Argos did have a player tossed near the end of the game, but with 20 seconds left, that wasn't going to make or break you. The other question mark that came from that football game was the hit by Sean Oakman on quarterbacks of Saskatchewan, Cody Fajardo. At the time, it was called a sack, The replay official was brought in because of a challenge. 
The decision on the field was upheld. I felt the decision was right, that Oakman did not purposely send his body into the lower leg of Fajardo, that in fact he was reaching out with one arm to grab onto him. And had Fajardo not had such a bad knee to begin with, I don't think we'd even be talking about this. But because his knee was already sore, it impacted that negatively. But I don't think Oakman did anything that warranted a penalty. He was on the ground reaching out. He may have bumped him with his shoulder, yes, but there was no thrust from his entire upper body trying to hit Fajardo. He was being pinned at the moment by an offensive lineman, so he just did the only thing he could, and that was hang on with his arm. I have watched the replay of this incident probably 25, 30 times at this point, looking for any indication that Sean Oakman did anything wrong, and I really do not see it. He was already on the ground, kind of crawling towards Cody Fajardo, reached out with one hand and and hung on to somebody who had the football. It wasn't a situation, if you compare it to what Garrett Marino did to Jeremiah Mazzoli, where he launched himself at the legs, dove, wrapped him up. This was an entirely different situation. There was no huge forward momentum driving into Cody Fajardo. He was just hanging on for dear life. He didn't twist once Fajardo went down the the tackle was made he didn't embellish or take any extra liberties with Cody Fajardo's leg as you mentioned it's a pre-existing injury for for Cody and unfortunately it was further aggravated in this incident but it sure didn't look malicious on Sean Oakman's part the Rough Riders were not happy you usually aren't when you lose a challenge anyway. I The riders probably had merit to at least have a second look in case something was missed. The riders, though, with this situation now that Fajardo has tweaked that knee again, Dickinson is putting him at about 50-50 whether or not he can play on the weekend. That is going to really sort of confuse a lot of people in terms of how do you bet this game? How do you approach this game? Not that Mason Fine isn't a quality quarterback, but he just hasn't started yet. This will be a big call. And I'm just going to circle back a little bit to roughing the passer and protecting the quarterbacks. There were a couple of other incidents in this game. Anthony Lanier II was was penalized a roughing the passer, where it appeared that he was already in the air to make the tackle by the time the ball was released. I've seen similar calls in the past. It's a really tough one on on Lanier. It's just kind of a, a circumstance of the situation he was in. It was likely the right call. In the essence of protecting the quarterback, there was another play on the other side of the ball where Cody Fajardo got absolutely lit up with a fairly high and hard hit that was not flagged. Again, with a chippy game like that, it seems like the, the referee and the officiating crew were having a hard time keeping everybody in check, and it looks like a couple of those calls maybe were were not quite enforced the way they should be. It's possible. The hit on Fajardo, though, I thought was clean again, the second one, because the helmet wasn't involved in either circumstance, being the player leading with the crown or Fajardo being hit in the grill or on the head with, with the shot. He was just releasing the football when he got hit, and I had no problem with it again. It does speak to the issue of being a quarterback in professional football because you are standing there and literally becoming a sitting duck for anybody that's probably twice your size to come after you. It makes it tough. Fajardo, to his credit, has 
gutted it out. He has stood in there despite the pain. It may now come back to haunt him because courage sometimes pays a price. And if he's not available, that is going to impact the Rough Riders. The other big story, I guess, if we want to call it that, and you got to have some sadness for Kamar Jordan, but did he have a game that he wished he never had? Did he ever? Drop after drop. The, the final offensive attempt by the Calgary Stampeders at the end of the game resulted in the ball popping out of his hands as he hit the ground, did not maintain possession, and it launched itself back up into the hands of the Bombers for a game-saving interception once again for Winnipeg. Houston was the player that happened to be there, and he's famous, of course, for his little tug-of-war with Brandon Banks from the game in Toronto. The game that Kamar Jordan had was so unlike him. It was just almost hard to watch. He dropped ball after ball after ball. I counted five that he easily had under his control and just lost. It seems to be that once you start down that path, it's hard to get out of it. I believe a player of his caliber, he'll be able to shake this off and bounce back in the next one. But as you said, sure, a tough night and one that he's going to really want to forget about pretty quickly. Demario Houston did have that game-saving interception. He had a couple of other glorious opportunities to intercept a ball and couldn't squeeze it either. So it was a little bit of redemption for him that it came down to that final defensive play. And he was the game saver after having a couple earlier opportunities to put things away for Winnipeg. And to close this out, it was Shaq Richardson that made the final interception against Saskatchewan to close that game out. Second down. Edmonton and Montreal kicked off week six with a real barn burner in Montreal. The Alouettes had a big lead over the Elks, as much as 19 points in the game, couldn't maintain it. Elks score 14 in the fourth quarter, shut out the Alouettes, and win by a single point, 32-31. to We've already discussed Wesley Sutton and how Kenny Lawler seemed to have owned him, three interference calls totaling over 100 yards against Sutton, but he wasn't the only story. They talk a lot about the last three minutes of a CFL game being a game in and of itself. And as you alluded to, all four games this week, really those last three minutes were, were exciting and make or break. Taylor Cornelius had his first start of the season and is now a perfect 1-0 and on the season, which helps the Edmonton Elks immensely. Trevor Harris did not have a bad night, but just could not keep that momentum going into the fourth quarter. Edmonton came back and stole this one in Montreal. Edmonton has done it twice now in the Eastern Conference where they've been behind and found a way to come back in the fourth quarter and win the football game. Two and a half minutes left. Montreal gets the ball, kicks it because they can't get anywhere. And the Elks, to their credit, control the ball till the end of the game because Montreal is out of timeouts, two first downs, and you're out of there. And that's what Edmonton did. And you mentioned the penalties, the pass interference penalties amounting to over 100 yards. And Kenny Lawler also had seven receptions for 92 yards. So he was massively involved in that comeback win for the Edmonton Elks. Probably his best game in Edmonton thus far in his career. And a great showing. 
I don't know where this leaves the Montreal Alouettes. Once again, Trevor Harris threw for 241 yards, two TDs, but also two interceptions. I don't believe that Montreal has answered their own quarterback questions. And we may get Trevor Harris with one more shot at it, but Vernon Adams Jr. might be back in that starting lineup soon. Rumors were going everywhere, especially with Gary Stern and Victor Kui having an arm wrestling match that showed up on Twitter that uh, Vernon Adams Jr. was heading to Edmonton. That never came to pass. He is still an Alouette, and I'm certain now that Machocha is probably glad that that trade was never made. Of course, he'd had a lot to do with that decision. Let's just turn to quarterbacking in Edmonton. Cornelius, who I thought last year did reasonably well and I thought was going to be the quarterback of note this year until Arbuckle showed up, and then they drafted Trey Ford, and then they brought in five other quarterbacks. Well, with all of that being said, they brought in another quarterback after Cornelius wins in Montreal. Ben Holmes, who most recently was in the USFL with the New Jersey Generals, Mike Riley, his coach, decided that he wasn't a fit for the type of offense they wanted, so he let him go. The Alouettes took a look at him and passed. Now the Elks have brought him in. Is it a question mark in the Elks' mind that Ford is injured way more than first thought and they need some insurance is it the Kai Loxley is injured more than first thought and they need more insurance what is happening this would be the 11th quarterback signed by or brought in by the Edmonton Elks so far this season Taylor Cornelius as I mentioned he he had an okay game 230 yards a touchdown and an interception most importantly he got the win this would indicate to me that maybe Trey Ford is gone longer than we had hoped and maybe pushing well into that second half of the season before we see him healthy enough to resume play. They maybe do want to have another body in there that they can go to. Taylor Cornelius did play a lot of games and start a lot of games last season. We know the wins didn't come necessarily for him. But he was in there and showed some poise and some promise. I don't know what the future holds for him. Chris Jones isn't known to be a coddling coach as far as quarterbacks go. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's another quarterback of note there before this season wraps up. For the Elks, it's their second win of the season. Here's a little tidbit. If Edmonton was playing in the East Division, they'd be tied with Toronto for the most wins in the division. They are last in the West, though, because of the nature of the West this year so far. It's a bit of an anomaly, and we also look at the schedule. Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Calgary have now played six games. There are a few teams out there that have still only played four, so it'll start to balance out here eventually, but it's definitely trending towards the possibility of a Western team crossing over into that third position in the East for the playoffs. Battle of the Unbeatens was the feature match on Friday night with the Stampeders in Winnipeg to take on the Blue Bombers. We've discussed the situation with Kamar Jordan, and it was a huge impact on this football game as the Blue Bombers hang on to win 26-19 over Calgary. Bo Levi Mitchell, 12 of 28, not great, but 187 yards and a touchdown. Again, he wasn't supported that well 
by his receiving core. He wasn't. Kadeem Carey was the big offensive weapon for the Calgary Stampeders. 12 carries, 110 yards, a 9.2 average, and one reception for 13 yards as well. So Kadeem Carey had a pretty big night. The rest of that offense seems to have struggled a little bit. Kamar Jordan only had one catch in seven targets. Malik Henry, Reggie Bagleton both had four receptions. It was not the best night for the Calgary Stampeders. They did drop some pretty catchable balls, but you have to also give some credit to that Winnipeg defense once again stepping up and shutting down a pretty solid offense in the Calgary Stampeders. Zach Kolaris again having a great night at the office, 27 of 38 for 315 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Kolaris has really found the form. I, I alluded to it in the last show. His 2014 form, the one that took the Ticats to the Grey Cup when he was the showpiece, instead of being sort of perfunctory and getting the job done, he now looks like he's starting to carry this offense. This is his second 300-yard performance already this season, a mark that he was very, very short of a lot last season. I think he only had one, maybe two 300-yard games all of last season. So to get two this early... Greg Ellingson had his best night as a Winnipeg Blue Bomber, 152 yards receiving, and a bit of a coming-out party for rookie Carlton Agadosi. Targeted seven times, six receptions, 70 yards, and two key touchdowns. Six foot six, 220 pounds, and a nightmare for that Calgary secondary to try to cover. The Stampeders had roughly 23 minutes of possession time during the football game. Winnipeg, just over 37. When you see that much of a lopsided count in the clock, then you immediately look to turnovers to see why this game was so close, and turnovers were a saw-off. So you've got to give credit to the Stampeders' defense. Though they allowed the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to come down the field, they managed to keep them out of the end zone for the most part. You would think with that big of a difference in time of possession that it would have been a big rushing performance for Winnipeg as well. But once again, they continued to struggle on the ground and were around 60 yards rushing as a team. So not a great night. We saw their game against BC. The running game kind of came alive a little bit, but we were right back to square one in this one. And as you said, it was Calgary almost played a Winnipeg type defense where they gave up a lot of yards but not a lot of points. Unfortunately for them, they didn't get the the touchdown that could have potentially tied the game in the fourth quarter, and Winnipeg just continues to roll off the wins. We move to Saturday and touchdown Atlantic in Nova Scotia. As we mentioned earlier, a great atmosphere, a lot of fun. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders, this was the game that was supposed to be played just before the pandemic began, and they now managed to get it in. Huge crowd, as I said, over 10, almost 11,000 there at the game. The Argonauts with a late interception pick six by Winton McManus win this one 30 to 24 over the Rough Riders, handing the Rough Riders their second loss in the East this year. I want to give a shout out to the crowd at that touchdown Atlantic game. Both teams were very well represented. As well, it wasn't just the East being well represented. We know Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans tend to travel well, and it was a really good atmosphere. Great to see 
a lot of discussion again about the potential of adding a 10th team somewhere in Atlantic Canada. And the more successful these events are, the louder that voice is going to be. And hopefully we do see that 10th team. A big turning point in this game, as you mentioned, was the pick six. Cody Fajardo did throw three interceptions overall. So a pretty tough night for him. We know that knee is bothering him and hopefully he's able to get some time to recover. Whether that's a week off here, they have a bye coming up as well. But for the Riders to be successful, they're going to need a healthy Cody Fajardo. We alluded to the chippiness in this football game, and it just strikes me as interesting. What's the history that promoted this? They're not in the same division. They Last time they met in the playoffs was 2017. It seemed like there was an edge to this game that you wouldn't normally expect. A, a great night for a few receivers as well. Uh, Kean Schaefer-Baker had 96 yards on seven catches. Curly Gittens Jr. only had four receptions, but a, a great kind of possession night for him, uh, for the uh, Toronto Argonauts as well. Battle of the quarterbacks, the, the passing yards were pretty even. Fajardo 24 for 34, 284 yards. McLeod Bethel-Thompson 26 for 37, 276. The key here was they both threw two touchdowns, but Fajardo had three interceptions to Bethel Thompson's one. The Rough Riders also had 11 penalties in this football game. The Riders are blazing trails in terms of penalties this year. We talked about the Alouettes earlier, but the Rough Riders have had 68 penalty calls against them so far this season. That's more than 10 a game. And their total yards is 647, which is more than 100 per game. That's a lot of real estate that you're giving up and a lot of missed opportunities if you're taking penalties on offense. It certainly is. And we know the word in Montreal was that it cost Kahari Jones his job. I don't believe Craig Dickinson is in a similar predicament in Saskatchewan yet. However, they can't continue to lose these games against Eastern opponents and expect to be in that top tier in the West. We see Winnipeg, Calgary, and BC kind of creeping ahead of them. So if if Saskatchewan doesn't start to pull it together, that can get away pretty quick. It's interesting that a four and two team could have this kind of scrutiny over it, but they are the team that hosts the Grey Cup this year as well. And we knew going into this season, the pressure was going to be on for a repeat of the last time the Grey Cup was in Regina. We all know famously what happened in that one. I don't know if the Rough Riders have the horses to get there this year. Saturday afternoon, the late game, was the Battle of the Winless. The Hamilton Tiger Cats on a huge pass by Dane Evans. It was also a third down play for the Tiger Cats when they scored the touchdown with Tim White on the other end. And that was a tough throw that that Dane Evans had. Hamilton eked it out. The Red Blacks had their chance at the end and they were about one yard out of Lewis Ward's range for the game-winning field goal. He gave it everything he had, 54-yard attempt, and it fell just shy of the crossbar. So we could be talking about the other team being the one to get their first win of the season very easily had they got another couple of yards to set him up it looked like that ball was going through the uprights. Ward was also kicking into the wind on that play, so it was doubly difficult. What 
baffled me about Hamilton's defense was that they were playing so soft on that final drive. Ha- Ottawa had very little time, and yet Hamilton was just giving them chunk yards, letting them have that opportunity. Now, they got away with the win, but had Ward made that kick, then what in Hamilton? Let's go back to the, the final two minutes of this football game because they have a glorious opportunity to take the lead earlier, and they put Matthew Schiltz in to give him the chance to win the game. He doesn't get it done. This is where some of the concern, I think, with Tommy Condell is coming out, is that he kept running Schiltz up the middle all the time. Well, eventually Ottawa's going to figure out what you're doing. And Schiltz was getting pounded. They miss on that opportunity. They get the ball back. And this time it's Dane Evans with the same opportunity. But he manages to succeed. On the third try, though, it was starting to trend towards him not having much success either. I'm happy to see Dane Evans bounce back with a big game. We've, we've talked a bit about his turnovers in the past. 342 yards and two touchdowns, including the game winner late in the fourth quarter. Looks like a bit of a bounce back for him. We'll see where this goes with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They're certainly not out of the East by any means because we know that two wins is currently leading the division. I, I don't know how far... The Tiger Cats have fallen off from where they were the previous couple of seasons, but it's pretty clear there has been a bit of a dip. And that could be missing some of the key players like Ja'Garrett Davis and Brandon Banks as well. It seems like we're stuck in this Grey Cup appearance denial with the Cats. They were in the Grey Cup for the last two years. They can't be this bad, but maybe they are. Maybe there was enough of a changeover. Maybe Mazzoli being out of the room mattered that much. That could be too. We we were concerned about Winnipeg as the aging football team starting to have the window closed on their championship run. Maybe we should have been looking on the other sideline in those last couple of Grey Cups and see where that window was. Caleb Evans, not a bad day, 18 of 30 for 203. He'll probably get the start this week because it's such a short week, but Nick Arbuckle is there. And depending on what he's been able to absorb of the playbook that they have installed, which is the one he familiarized with himself the last time he was there, he may see some time, although limited. This is a big week for Caleb Evans and his future as a potential starting quarterback for the Ottawa Red Blacks. If he goes out and delivers, he probably buys himself a little bit more time. Nick Arbuckle is going to get some playing time here very soon, and it's going to be a real battle to see who holds down the fort until Jeremiah Mazzoli can get back in that lineup. Down. Four games in the CFL coming up this week. Thursday night, we open with the Alouettes in Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks. Ottawa coming so close, Montreal coming so close. Short week for Ottawa, having been in Hamilton on Saturday to come back to play Thursday, but they don't have a huge flight and time zones to worry about, so it shouldn't be as impactful. We talked just before the break about whether or not Nick Arbuckle might see the playing field or is it a Caleb Evans game? What does Montreal do? Do they want to stick with Trevor Harris or do they want to move back to Vernon Adams Jr. and give him a chance to see what he can do? We may very well see all four quarterbacks in this one and it's going to be coming down to who has the hot hand at the right time. If both teams are struggling, making a change to Vernon Adams 
is the potential to really turn a game around if he is on when he comes in. I don't think that Nick Arbuckle will bring that energy level to the Ottawa Red Blacks after only being there for a week. This one is is a really interesting game because I, I think everybody's kind of playing for their future as, as the quarterback for their teams. We know Ottawa wants to get a win so bad. They've been in every game so far this season and just haven't been able to close. But uh, I'm going with Montreal to eke out the win in this one. We talked a little bit about the Rough Rider situation being at 4-2 and two and some pressure on the head coach. What do you think the relationship is right now between Sean Burke and Paul Lapolis? Lapolis was not hired by Burke. This seems to be a, an anthem that people live by, that if you don't hire him, you're not wedded to him. If Lapolis doesn't win against the Alouettes, do the Red Blacks look at making a change? I believe the injury to Jeremiah Mazzoli will maybe buy him a little bit more time. As I said, he was they were in these games early on in the season. They've now lost Mazzoli for probably 10 to 12 weeks. I, I don't know if you can pin all of that necessarily on Paul Lapolis. However, there were some questionable coaching decisions late in the first half in a couple of those games where they left potential points on the board. So where does Sean Burke sit on whose fault that was? And if they continue to struggle, that might be what is the deciding factor on the future of Paul Lapolis. Montreal has not won away from Montreal yet. At minus 2.5 favorites for the Alouettes, this is sort of a pick'em game because they're basically the amalgam of all of these betting lines is that they're saying it's a field goal either way. I'm going to pick Ottawa at home just because they're at home. I think home field advantages were three, and in the 2.5 that they need to get, they can find Caleb Evans with another week in that offense will get better. Ottawa's defense is okay. It's just a question in my mind, does Vernon Adams get the start? If he does, then I would really like to flip to Montreal. The BC Lions finally get back on the field. They've had two buys in the first seven weeks of the season. They've only played one road game. They and the Toronto Argonauts have been on the road the fewest times. They host the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Hamilton, of course, coming off at a huge emotional win over the Ottawa Red Blacks. Now they get to travel to the West Coast. They get to play at 10 o'clock Eastern to face the BC Lions. A rare Thursday night doubleheader in the CFL. We don't see that very often. It's often a, a Saturday where you see the two games. The BC Lions had their hiccup against Winnipeg. They have seen what it's going to take to compete with the upper echelon of the league. And a home game, a bounce back game for Nathan Rourke. I expect the BC Lions will win this one handily. I know Hamilton got that first win of the season out of the way, but this is a pretty tough follow-up after getting that emotional win. I, I don't see how BC loses this one. The last Eastern opponent to go to BC was thump 44-3, to playing at the same hour of the night. That was Toronto back in week three. BC has got to be favored in this game, given that 
high octane offense that they run. It's a team that, despite the fact that they've only played four games, they are still leading in most of the CFL team stats on offense. Friday night, Winnipeg and Edmonton meet for the first time since they opened preseason. The Blue Bombers, of course, still undefeated. The Elks having come off another big win out east. Interestingly, two streaks are playing at the same time, although only one can be impacted. The Blue Bombers haven't lost at home in over a thousand days. The Elks haven't won at home in over a thousand days. Only the Elks streak is up for grabs. Can the Elks finally break it? In order for Edmonton to win, Kenny Lawler is going to have to continue where he left off last game and have a huge night against his former team. The quarterback situation in Edmonton is still a little bit undecided. The The X factor for me in this one is the play of Zach Kolaris and how he has come along in the last couple of games. I don't think there's a better quarterback in the league at getting out of the pocket and throwing accurately and getting away from pressure. That is the key for Zach Kolaris' success, and he will continue to do that and, and lead the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to another win in this one. Sorry, Elks fans, but it's going to tack on a few more days before they crack that winless streak. Winnipeg, like BC, is a 7.5 point favorite. 7.5 on the road is always a huge eye-opener. It rarely happens. The Blue Bombers, of course, have shown nothing to say that they don't deserve to be. I guess the question in the betting public's mind would be, was what the Elks showed in that fourth quarter in Hamilton and in Montreal a portend of things to come, that this team can find a way? And is it a situation where Winnipeg, having come off of two big wins in beating the other undefeated teams in the league in BC and Calgary, does this turn into a little bit of a letdown game for them where they play down to the quality of their opponent instead of rising above and putting one away when they should? That's a very valid point. Winnipeg, though, hasn't really been guilty of playing that way, but Winnipeg really, for the most part, has not destroyed teams this year. They have basically relied on their defense in the fourth quarter to hang on for them. I'm going to pick Winnipeg on the road, minus 7.5. The Blue Bombers are just that strong still. And unless something really obtuse happens, such as Calaris having just a brutal night, Touchdown Atlantic comes to the West with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders hosting the Toronto Argonauts. If the CFL was planning for a great rivalry matchup, they found one in normally, as I alluded to earlier, Saskatchewan and Toronto, you don't expect the fireworks to come between them. And yet, the other element that we haven't discussed is that there's been a COVID outbreak with the Rough Riders. The Rough Riders have cancelled Wednesday's practice after six additional players have tested positive. That brings the number up to 10, which we'll have to see what comes out of all of this if this game is going to go ahead after all. It happened between Edmonton and Toronto, of course, back in 2021 on August the 26th. They were supposed to play, but the Elks had an outbreak of COVID. That game got scheduled to the end of the season, and the 
Elks played three in basically six nights to end the year. I'm hoping for a positive outcome in this one. When Edmonton had to postpone a game last year, there were thresholds for vaccine rates amongst the players that we know they did not hit at that point. The rescheduling was a bit punitive towards them. One would think that if cancellation is being contemplated, then you have to factor in letting the Argonauts know ahead of time so they don't climb on a plane, get all the way to Regina, and then find out there's no game. The other issue is where in the schedule can you put this game? It is a very difficult situation, so I would imagine sometime Thursday we'll know if the game is going to be played or not. A cursory look at the schedule, Toronto has a bye week 15, Saskatchewan a bye in week 16, so you could theoretically find a way to get the game in there. That is going to be a lot of juggling. There's a lot of ifs in this game. If most of their players are available and healthy with this COVID situation, Saskatchewan wins this one. I'm trending towards the Rough Riders winning this one at this point. If Cody Fajardo plays, however, there are a lot of variables that if they start to go the other way, it's looking a lot more promising for Toronto. If you want to build a rivalry in the CFL, you play teams back-to-back. We saw earlier this season, the Rough Riders went into Montreal and came out on the short end of the stick against the Alouettes, bounced back the following week back in Regina. A similar situation here where they go into, not into Toronto's home stadium, but Toronto was the the home team. They lose that one. They get Toronto right back at Mosaic Stadium the following week. Rough Riders are minus 5.5 favorites. That's a big ask. Of course, the Riders at home have been dominant. We don't know what's going to happen with Dakeel Williams. We don't know what's going to happen with Shaquille Richardson. Cody Fajardo at this point in time is 50-50 whether or not he'll be available for the game because of that knee and how sore it is. I will pick the Rough Riders, but not to cover. That's kind of how I'm trending on this one as well at this point. As I said, that may change based on information that's available to us over the coming days. Even just a loss of Cody Fajardo and, and a potential suspension to Duke Williams is enough to probably push the needle towards the Toronto Argonauts. Pat has sent along his picks. And he is taking the Montreal Winged Wheelers to cover at the Ottawa Football Club. The Vancouver Marilomas do not cover versus the Hamilton Tigers. The Winnipeg Pegs cover at Edmonton Civics. And the Regina Rugby Club covers versus the Balmy Beach. Digging deep into the archives for this one for Pat. Give him some credit there for knowing his CFL team name history. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.